0: Today on Happy, Say, Confused, Sean Penn on his debut novel, giving up acting and just being Sean fucking Penn, guys. Hey everybody, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm sorry for the profanity right off the bat, but it's Sean Penn, guys. Sean effing Penn, uh, flying solo for the podcast intro today. Sammy is otherwise occupied, sad to say, because I need someone to talk to about this. I, I uh, Sean Penn just left my office. We had a, a lovely chat. I was nervous about this one. Uh, last time I was this nervous was uh, was Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and you know, similar to those two. Um, you know icons and they are icons uh sean penn is an icon and he did intimidating dude I've never spoken to him before Um, we cover a lot in this conversation his new book is called bob honey who just do stuff it is out right now It's a quick read. It's a fun bizarre read. It almost defies description um, it's it's a novel about a septic tank salesman slash assassin. It deals with very topical uh, issues. You know, it touches a little bit on me too and our crazy uh, commander in chief perhaps. And, and, uh, it's out there. It's, 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 uh, you're, you're going to like Sean Penn. I think you're going to either love this thing or it's just not going to be for you. But if you do want to sit and, and luxurate in, in Sean Penn's brain for a few hours, this is the best way to do it, besides listening to this podcast, of course. It's to go out and buy Bob Honey, who just do stuff. Um, Sean is very passionate about this new project, and we talk uh, at length about that and um, and why he is focusing on writing right now. And, of course, we do talk about where he is in his acting career. I don't know if you may have heard that he is talking very seriously about giving up acting. He's talked about this in the past, to be fair, and maybe this won't last forever, but he is serious about kind of falling out of love with acting, um, and he details the reasons why in this conversation. Um, but you know, just because he's not in love with with acting and film doesn't mean I couldn't uh, let this opportunity go by and not talk about some of his genius work uh, as an actor. And we cover uh, a fair amount. You know, we cover some of his notable collaborations: Terrence Malick and Woody Allen and um, uh, Brian De Palma. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, and also. So to talk to Sean Penn is to talk to somebody that's kind of a, kind of a custodian and kind of a, 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 the latest in a lineage of great actors, and he has deep connections with some of the, the past generations. He was very good friends with Marlon Brando. He's very good friends with Jack Nicholson to this day. So um, some uh, really fascinating, interesting anecdotes, including uh, Sean Penn's uh, Marlon Brando impression. I don't know if I've ever heard that. This might be a an exclusive. Um, so he's uh, he's a fascinating guy. Um, I know I know he's divisive to some. I count me in, in the camp that that admires uh, Sean Penn as an actor, as an activist, as uh, an iconoclast. Um, he's a, he's a smart, intimidating dude, and um, I was thrilled to welcome him to the office and to have this uh, very fascinating to say the least chat so uh i'm gonna leave it uh, at that and let you guys enjoy this conversation remember to enjoy uh, uh his new book bob honey who just do stuff it is out in bookstores if a bookstore still exists near you or on amazon and all those other kind of fun places you can buy it online um and of course remember to spread the good word of the podcast remember to review rate and subscribe on itunes spread the good word of happy sad confused it means a lot to me so thanks in advance. Uh, here it is, Sean Penn. Sean Penn, welcome to my office. Thank you very much. This is a, a real uh, distinct pleasure and an honor. Um, the book is, uh, I don't know why I'm holding it up as if there's a camera, but I will for uh, your benefit, Bob Honey, who, ju- who just do stuff. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's a wild ride. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, first, I guess my, my first thought or question for you is, uh, you know, whenever you have a new project, whether it's it's a book or a film, you I, I, I think you know this by now, you're a divisive figure, Mr. Sean Penn. People seem to, for whatever reason, um, go to polar extremes when your name is brought up. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've reconciled at this point? Is that something that uh, you remember a time before that happened? I'm just curious of sort of like how you... Um, absorb the extreme way people um, react to you?
1: Well, I think, you know, reconciliation with it certainly is is a piece of my life. And yet there's the part of it uh, as a, a person among a world of people where I think we all should be considering ways in which we discourage uh, divisiveness. Right. And this book, Bob Honey, Who Just Do Stuff, while I'm sure for, for the, the, the reckless reader may seem, again, divisive, it, the, the, the hope and the, the, or, or the offering is that there's a humor in
0: the division. Right. And that where there's humor... Perhaps there's less division. Right. It's it's funny because I was thinking that when I was reading the book, um, this sense of humor in the book, which is clearly self-evident if you read it, um, isn't really noticeable in the films you've directed. I would say, I haven't noticed this kind of tone. Is that should that surprise me? Is that is do you have a, a different mindset when you're approaching filmmaking as opposed to sitting down and? ponder yeah. something like this you know it's it's a funny thing uh we we've always ta- heard talked about
1: discussed you know say a writer like Hemingway and how uh detail oriented in description a writer like that might be and and and, and equating that with imagery mm. but it's a different imagery isn't it than than the imagery we 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 use when we're reading a book. And it's the different imagery that we use when we're writing a book. We're much more able, especially when writing something fictional and in, in, in some kind of a picaresque or satire, where it's much closer to dream imagery. Sure. Uh, there are filmmakers who, who work quite intentionally in dream imagery. That's not been the, the thrust of the work that I've done in film, nor was it what drew me most as a filmmaker in right. film, though I can be drawn to it as an audience. But in, um, uh, in, as it turned out, when I shut off the concerns of the, the money demands on a film, um, the restrictions, the things that I didn't know how to do, perhaps, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, when I started to dream as a writer, it started to be something much closer to uh, either a you know, a dream
0: world. Yeah, yeah. Now as I was reading it I was like, you know, of course my mind goes to films, as you can tell I, I'm steeped in it. Um, it's like, oh, this is, if someone was going to direct this, this is a Terry Gilliam. This is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. This is what, that, that's the kind of imagery that's that's popping up. It's so, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the book, but if you asked me to kind of summarize the book, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough one. Well, you could sympathize with what I'm going through on book tour. I'm now. sure. So I'm, I will not <laughs> even ask you to. I mean, I mean but it, it does seem like, is it fair to say that this was your way, we all kind of processed the recent events, 2016, in different ways. Um, this was your kind of way of processing and, and turning um, the upheaval of the world into, into art? Well, I, I suppose that certainly
1: was a driving force. There's, um, I've talked lately a lot about something that I've, I've th- thought for a long time. You know, I was, whatever, when I came into uh, any kind of uh, activism or uh, otherwise, we're trying to work for a greater good in my, my own little way, it, it was never uh, compulsory. Mm. And I have always believed that that mandatory service is something that we, we, we're really missing in, in this country. And when I saw the country seemingly m- move in directions that were not going to serve their best interests at the, in, in the electorate, uh, out, out of anger, um, out of pain, out of nowhere else to go, but to kind of kick a tree. Um, It occurred to me that that doesn't happen where people have had an experience when they're very young, where they have significantly found that they themselves can make a difference, that that those things stay with them. And the people I know, whether they were working in forestry at a young age or care for the elderly or in the military, who had an opportunity to do something for someone else and see that they themselves can have an individual effect, I think that stays with them forever. And that then you never feel the hopelessness that clearly was felt uh, in these last couple of years and and increasingly is felt in the country.
0: Your parents were both, um, and your mom's still around, I know, uh, in the industry, part of acting, et cetera. Were they also... um, Activists? I mean, your dad was blacklisted, correct? Mm-hmm. Was that something, was activism talked about? Was it passed down as a, as a young man that this was a responsibility to be an active participant in the world and to um, engage with the world around you? <clears throat> Not by demand, but by example. Right. Yeah. And did you... You know, there's been a lot of talk um, about your on-again, on off-again love affair with acting over the, uh, over the years. And this isn't anything new, I should say. I mean, I went back and looked at interviews, and I was telling you before, yeah. I, you know, I worked at Charlie Rose, and I remember you talking to Charlie about this years mm-hmm. back. I mean, at least 20 years you've been talking about... It's been a wrestling match for a while. Yeah. Yeah. The, when, do you regret going into acting? Do you regret pursuing acting as your life's work, at least for a period of time? You know, if
1: you ask me this question in a couple of more years, I may have a different answer to it. But as it is, it would be very difficult for me to say that I regret something that's, that's given me so much opportunity in so many ways. And where I've gotten to, to meet and work with and, and, and co-create things that in many cases I'm very proud of the, the collaborations that, that, that I've been able to take part in. But that's the very word that at a certain point, you know, there's a collaboration is, is are these various creative families. And there's a moment where, in expression, I think one hungers um, to go out on the road on their own. Right. And there's no way to do that like uh, picking up a guitar and
0: writing a song. But I can't do that. This is is your. So I went out and wrote a novel. So give me a. I mean, when I was reading this, I like I was envisioning you like in a room, either cackling to yourself or beating your head against the wall. Maybe sometimes a combination of both. Was this was this a a enjoyable process? Not to have to lean on people that you may respect, but you inevitably might butt heads with. Um, Give me a sense of how freeing or how different this process felt for you. Every
1: part of that
0: question is extremely astute, and but
1: I'll address the the principal and uh, part of it, which is my children <clears throat> throughout their uh, childhood and still today, they're twenty four and twenty six. Would always call attention to the fact that they, that in their view, their father found himself funny, whether or not others did, and when. He might get a reaction that was genuine out of them, would then take the joke too far and kill it. <laughs> I didn't have them in the room either, and I cackled and cackled
0: and cackled. <laughs> your your own best audience? Yes. <laughs> so having said this is a solitary pursuit, do you have a do you have a collective that you can rely on that will call you out on your shit, whether it's writing that doesn't work or oh yes. Or- yeah. Because I also because it's rhythmic and because i have to get
1: back in the rhythm i'm often dependent on people i work with and by work with now i'm talking about for example the assistant i dictate to because i often work by, by dictation or my high school friend matt Mary, who lives two doors down i'll call him and force him to listen to what i with the last two pages that i wrote and once you have someone in front of you just to begin with yeah before they say anything, you know that you have expected understanding of the material by osmosis in certain areas, and you make notes and you refine. And then, yes, they'll ask questions and so on. So I do, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of that. And then, in the end, um, uh, I had a, a, such a lucky experience, <clears throat> from what I'm told, because this is my first book and therefore my first editor, Peter Borland, and. Uh, and it was such, so refreshing to work with somebody who whose who's every comment was uh, to question or service the book as I intended it, not to take it off course, which so often is the case when you're talking to film producers or, right. or collaborators in that in that you know kind of s- self-censoring and and pandering, largely pan moving and moving closer to, toward pandering uh, <clears throat> for for commerciality.
0: It, it does seem, though, I mean, when I look at particularly at your directing work, it feels like, for the most part, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you hit pretty close to the mark of what seemed to be in your heart and your intention. Are you talking more about acting and producing and other kind of ventures, or were the directing efforts, for the most part, or, or exclusively such um, happy experiences? They were
1: very, very happy, and they fulfilled that moment's need for great collaborations, they, I, I never directed a movie by myself. I directed a movie with the influence of the instincts of great and, and, and encouraging actors and cinematographers and production designers. And, you know, there, I remember one time being in a rehearsal with Al Pacino and uh, he, there was a writer involved who, who just didn't, wasn't responsive to any of the ideas. We were at a table reading. To any of the ideas either he or I had. And uh, he, he, he I, I said, is this guy not listening to anything either? And I thought maybe he won't listen to me, but goddamn, he's going to listen to Al Pacino. Right. And he leaned over to me and he said, he doesn't, doesn't understand that Attica, Attica came from a grip.
0: That's amazing. Is that true? It's That's amazing. a
1: story. <laughs> so there's a grip on the set. He he had this story to tell, and that became that scene. So. You know, that's its own great journey when you have those kind of collaborations. <clears throat> but again, this was me not wanting to collaborate. I, I kind of consider it, what I, what, I, what I say is, you know, the greatest strength you have is to play well with others when you're doing that. Right. And increasingly, I, you know, was finding myself having to work very hard uh, in my head against the wind to play well with others. It wasn't making me
0: happy. Right. The... Um when you look at the book and you look at the, the blurbs on the back, I, I take a delight in the fact that this has entertained both Salman Rushdie and Sarah Silverman, so it can't be all bad if it, <laughs> if it entertains that kind of group. Uh, I like to imagine you going through your Rolodex and deciding who to hit up for a blurb. How did you arrive at who to kind of like say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear their take on it?
1: What, it, you know, what really happened is that we talked, uh, at some point there was someone from the um, you know, when we were talking about the show, they were showing me a, a, a version, of the cover of the book from their art department, Simon Schuster, and Schuster, uh, and someone came in who was part of the marketing department. But this is way ahead of publishing date, and uh, and I said, you know, well, I don't, I don't know who you guys think of that way, or you know, but I, I could probably send it to a few people, and 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 and, and it was I was over enthusiastic about it because I realized that. In the last week before the the cover the jacket mm. of the of the book was printed, I wasn't I was embarrassed to ask. It wasn't embarrassed of the work. No, sure. But to, to ask someone to read a book, it's like handing somebody a puppy in a public place and saying, "Here's a present," you um, just leaving them with it. You know, ask someone to read a book is already difficult. And to ask him to read your first book. And if they like it, to maybe give you a blurb and put them in a position where if they don't like it, they've got to be polite in some forced way. And all of that stuff just makes me cringe. And so it was in the very last days I thought, well, here are 10 people who I could, you know, certainly write a note to. I I didn't know them all or know them all well. And um, in the case of... um, of Sarah, I'd met her a few times, and had a nice conversation with her once years ago at some kind of a function, and that's as well as I knew her. And so I just lucked out that that Salma Rushdie and 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 she were that gracious as to to say yes, I'll read that book to read it, yeah. and then to be so generous um, with sharing their uh, response
0: to it. Um. If you'll indulge me a little bit because I, I you know I have to ask you about the acting career because i'm you know I revere so much of your work and it's uh, I don't know how it's, you reconcile it or how it sits with you now in terms of the place in your life, but um, there's some amazing work that, that some attention should be paid to i mean when, do you, do is there a time where you were happiest as an actor where you felt um, it was fulfilling and it was a collaboration in particular that felt um Right and true and uh, and honest, and all the good adjectives.
1: Yeah, and it goes to simple, like three, four simple things. One is the the material, the director, and your co actors. And in in times where I worked, for example, with uh, David Rabe in the theater, um, I had extraordinary experiences uh, that were really everyday fascinating and, and and exciting challenging uh working with alejandro gonzalez senior in film was among those kinds of experiences uh, you with some a director who was who, while extraordinarily demanding was always demanding of himself uh equally to or more than uh, anyone else around him
0: that's that in two yeah. yeah
1: and so you you're you know just in a great situation um, yeah, it, it, but, you know, rarer and rarer, I yeah. think, are those opportunities. I just saw a movie that's not out yet, I think it's out in October, or something that Bradley Cooper directed. How are you
0: talking about this, that's amazing. That that, yeah. It
1: reminded me of, you know, that experience in the 70s uh, um, cinema in America, where any week you'd go, it was a new kind of event that you'd remember forever. and. Uh, the act, the, the, the everything about it is so stellar and it's, that it's moving. And it's why I talk about it because I'm just thrilled that here, here you have a guy who has been increasingly a movie star, uh, and that he, you know, with this secret that he was, uh, you know, one of the great directors in Hollywood <laughs> and he kept it secret because he hadn't directed anything.
0: Yeah. And now he
1: has, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see how the world reacts.
0: The, uh, a few filmmakers that I do want to mention in addition to the ones you just uh, uh, name checked. Um, I, I, you worked with Brian De Palma twice. Yeah. In particular, uh, you know, I, I love Carlito's way. I think Carlito's way just is uh, sheerly entertaining, just uh, Al's amazing at it. You're mm-hmm. amazing at it. Um, and De Palma's like a, a, a tough director. He's like, he doesn't get along with everybody. He's a pretty he's like a tough cookie. As are you. Did you guys gel in a way? Did you feel like you were in safe hands with him? And did that feel like a, Positive collaboration well, yeah, yes, it did feel like a positive what
1: brian is he 's a highly intelligent uh, um, constructor of films and he 's very assured and very imaginative uh, it 's it's a different language than I you know, um, naturally relate to right but uh, my, rela- my i mean, i had in with actors he what he does afford you is you know, if he believes what you're doing, then what's important is that you're somewhere within the, the right place in the frame. He's composed, right? Uh, you don't, he's not get. you know, very interested in what color socks you're wearing that aren't showing, uh, in a character choice. And, and there's something uh, uh, kind of refreshing about that sometimes right. also, but, uh, but no, I had two experiences with Brian because they were good experiences.
0: Uh, Fincher, another one who some of the descriptions you just made about De Palma could probably apply to David Fincher as well in terms of just being a master with the camera and and clearly uh, knowing what he wants and breaking down actors in a way. I know that's his technique to sort of just keep going and going and going until your defenses, I think, are down. I don't know if that's. Well, it,
1: in in our case, that wasn't my experience. and But, but you know, I, he was he was um, very. He, you do a lot of takes, let's say, but he was what it was, rather than bring an actor down, he clearly had a lot of very specific dynamics right. that each frame was telling him. And he would go back to a trailer, let's say, at a lunch break, and when he would come out, he would already know which take of a master he was going to use, so then you'd be talking and matching to that take. He Got was it. He, again, very assured... Uh, but I didn't work with him very long. i'm not, I don't have a you know a, a great story to tell because i I only worked a short time on
0: uh, the game with him. I, i'm I'm still looking for that t-shirt. Uh, I was left for dead in Mexico and all like a was <laughs> this lousy t-shirt. I feel like it's, someone needs to sell that at some point. Um, in a much different way,, uh, your experience with Woody Allen, who you know I've talked to many actors who have worked with him, and he's, again, very unique in the way that he doesn't really interact that much with actors. I don't know if your experience was was different. I mean, did you find Woody to be uh, an odd experience or a pleasurable one? You obviously got a a lot of great critical acclaim from Sweet and Lowdown. Well, I think, you
1: know, that that film was much more of a a character piece, a single character piece, than most of his films, which are ensemble-driven. And because of that, I think... You know, I, 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 I tend to think we had more uh, interaction. Got it. At the same time, Woody, while being, you know, clearly one of the great film writers that we've had in, in, in modern film, um, at his best is extraordinary. Um, he's not precious about his words, like some, you know, younger writers may be who don't have the security of it. And so there's an enormous amount of freedom. And, and God knows the base stuff you've got is... Uh, so I felt very free on, yeah. on, his, on his set. Uh, it, was a, it was a very good experience. It was a little bit difficult because uh, while it was a, let's say what you'd call a felt comedy, it was, so, it was so much that we were enjoying doing. And then my father died during the making of that film. And then to, to go back to California... You know, to be with family for a a period of time and then to come back and to jump back into the spirit of this comedy was at once kind of, you know, probably a kind of
0: merciful thing because of the tone of it. But at the same time, you'd really rather be anywhere but there. Be anywhere but at work. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, uh, what is your take on on kind of the, the current reevaluation of Woody Allen's work. It seems like there's, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the MeToo movement and the complexities that go along with that. Um, it seems like there, there are some people that are basically done with Woody and don't want him to work anymore. Don't want us to even look back at his work. It's a big subject, but I'm just curious as someone that's, you know, look,
1: you, one will either have to forgive me or, not forgive me for not knowing with certainty what happened in that backstory. So that's a story that I'm, I'm afraid is, if, if I'm going to be reassessing my evaluation of Woody Allen, I'm going to have to have a different story than the one that I do know, right. which was an extra, extraordinary one, and that he is an extraordinary artist who has given so much that at the very least, you know, I, I, I don't know his daughter. I, you know, the tale that she tells, if true, is is, is of course devastating. Sure. And so, but but uh, but that i my bandwidth is not such that I can just say, you know, that this happened or that happened. Uh, um, I, I and I had a a very good experience working with Woody Allen. And you, you, I think, you know, it, it, whatever happened, uh, it, it's a terrible shame that we're not, you know, li- likely to see uh, many more Woody
0: Allen films. Right. You do, when you walked in, I you know, I, I reminisce with you a little bit that um, the first time I was in your proximity was uh, working at the Charlie Rose Show, where I worked for four years right out of college. And, uh, you know, I know you and Charlie were, or I don't know your current status, but like we're friendly. And um, he obviously was great at what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have very complex feelings about that, given it, he gave me my start in my career. You do name check Charlie in the book, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're speaking for yourself or in character, um, but it seems like there is some sympathy for his situation in the book. Um, is that fair to say? Were, were you speaking well, from it, your own perspective or?
1: Well, no, the, the book is not an opinion piece. How, however, you know, I think that what if we just talk about what we've lost, we've lost an, an extremely valuable form for dialogue that, that took his particular talent or takes his particular talent and his particular knowledge and diligence to create such a form. It's not something that is easily replaced. Sure. And I think never more did a, a movement be it me too or any needs such thoughtful forums as he provided so i i i'm talking about what we're missing and leaving it to um
0: the reader to apply a balance or not apply a balance to it right are you so at this stage so you're you know you're it's 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 funny you kind of alluded to this like you're a, a very kind of interesting mix of contradictions, like right? You are one of our greatest actors, inarguably, arguably, and yet you have this kind of love hate affair with acting. You clearly have no love for commercialism and and advertising, and yet you know here you are, and you have to kind of like spread the good word of your book. Um, is this a little bit easier for you than the last couple times you kind of did the publicity circuit for for films? Does it feel like this is feels more of a a worthy cause, for lack of a better term. Well, it,
1: it's nice to be the, you know the only one involved with the project that that I would likely disappoint. Uh, you know, if there was disappointing to do, um, it's part of it's part of the the uh, finality of my love affair with collaboration. Is that I found that I was increasingly working with colleagues. Um, where they were more interested in the selling of a film right. than the making of one, and it it, it, it became a very saddening thing to me. It was as though a kind of era had gone by, and I didn't know when it folded out. And and then in this case, there is none of that. I, I mean, of course, I would love people to to give this book a chance and read it and and see if they if they enjoyed it. At the same time, you know nothing really changes for me. Uh, in, right. a, a, and, and with a film, you know, you're kind of so aware of how hard everyone around you worked. And when, when a film doesn't work or an audience dismisses it or a critics dismiss it. But in this case, it's all kind of, um, you know, interesting. It pressures
0: off in a bit. It can be a little more detached in a unique yeah. way. Yeah. Do you, do you marvel at the fact that, like, if you look at your contemporaries that you kind of came of age with, whether it's, you know, Tom Cruise or... Johnny Depp, et cetera. They all kind of, they, they're clearly getting something out of the kind of things they're doing, doing mission impossibles and pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. And I don't know if it's reconciling things or if they, it seems like Tom Cruise actually really enjoys doing that stuff. Is it, do you wonder sometimes like, what are they, what am I missing? What are they getting out of these things that I just can't make the leap and just shut my brain off or turn a different part of my brain on? Well, I don't think it's quite a inqu- question of brain on or off,
1: and or, or, nor is it a, a, a demonstration of some kind of comparative integrity. I, I would not do nearly as well. With you know, with Tom, Tom is so lit up in those films, and he's extraordinary in them, and that's that's a talent that, frankly, I I never I don't have now, and I never had, and so it's it's not a question of would I have missed it? I would have said I'm wrong for it. Right. You know, we only have, yes, it's for a, an actor to, to create character, but we still are, you know, limited to our own nature and, and it's imagination and it's, and, and, and you know, where you have something, but, you know, you, you brought up a, an example of somebody who so clearly loves what he does yes. and there's no shame in that and, uh, and, uh, and, and audiences love uh, to engage with that. Yeah. And when I have loved what I've done, audiences have uh, turned out to be willing to be engaged with me on my own terms.
0: Have, I just don't love doing that anymore. Uh, if, if you believe the Internet, and Lord knows we probably shouldn't, uh, some of those kinds of opportunities have come your way. I'm sure you get all sorts of interesting offers. Um, is there any truth like Chris Nolan wanted you for The Joker? Is that, did you guys talk about that at any point? I don't recall that. Okay. If if he did, he never told me himself.
1: Um, and uh, you know, and, and again, I'm just say thank God. I thought, you know, between uh, the indelible one that Jack did, and then when Heath Ledger oh came God. along and yeah. made it a new kind of rock and roll, and you know, I mean, you know, extraordinary things. Listen, uh, yes, over the years, I've been offered a couple of things that became extremely successful genre pictures. In most cases, when I looked at them,
0: I think with me in it, they would not have been extremely successful genre pictures. Do you take a certain irony in the fact that, again, looking back at some of your interviews uh, the last 10, 15 years, um, when Marlon passed and you were very close with Marlon Brando, um, there was a lot of talk of like you know you and others were trying to entice him to keep acting and mm-hmm. and, and give it another try and here we are coming <laughs> up on the full mm-hmm. circle where I and many others are trying to entice you Sean please <laughs> consider why are you denying us uh-huh. There's a bit of an irony, irony there. Well, I, I, yeah, maybe there is. Um, I, I again, it's it's
1: hard for me to be into this. You know, I was I was in an interview earlier and somebody was asking about my family, all of whom or in something creative, my younger brother, an actor, my older brother, a musician. And, you know, was there ever any consideration of any, anybody becoming an accountant? And it, and it struck a chord because I remember specifically thinking to myself after seeing um, uh, 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 last, uh, uh, last Tango in Paris mm-hmm. uh, that I should be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even step to the plate. To... This is just too much. <laughs>
0: Were most of your conversations with Marlon about acting or just about? I mean, he was a wild, the like, gamut, crazy, the gamut. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I, I had done, done an interview,
1: and someone asked the interviewer asked me something about Marlon. He and I were seen somewhere or something, and I, was, and I said something. You know, that I, you know, certainly it was full of uh, affection and compliment only. Just a brief thing about Marlon. I remember the next day I was on a, after this piece came out. I was on a plane, and I landed in uh, Aspen, Colorado, and I get into a hotel room, and no one knew I was there. And the phone in the r- rings somehow. Marlon had tracked me down. He, he said, you know, how are you? And I said, I said, well, I'm good. How did you even know I'm here? <clears throat> Do me a favor, will Don't talk about me. (laughs) He had he had seen the
0: article, and I I laughed. I said, "Okay, got it." (laughs) Amazing. I remember when I was working; I was like at my first job out of school. He would call like the general number at Charlie Rose, just like the the the, the, number you could get off the street. And I, you know, you'd answer the phone and be like, "Hey, it's Marlon Brando." (laughs) What? What a great, 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 great actor! Amazing man. And and man. Yes, exactly. Do you? is Jack Nicholson someone that's that's still in your life? Someone oh, that you still talk
1: to? Very
0: much. I mean, probably the principal angel on my
1: shoulder in in you know my career. Somebody who just believed in me from a very early age it was always encouraging. Uh, great. You talk about loving collaborations. I you know that that's uh, that's. Um, uh, lucky club stuff to have been able to work with him for the pledge that. you think of that particular collaboration the, I, that's
0: the a great pledge film, and yeah. the
1: crossing guard both sure we were, were really uh, yeah so such a uh, he's got a, a joyce in mind and and often I it would describe conversations with Jack as you know you got to Sometimes you got to go melody and you figure out the lyrics later because he he'll start right in the middle of a deep thought.
0: No, it's true, and I don't I don't mean to you know compete on like name dropping. You've lived a life. I just kind of d- dip my toe in, but I've had the privilege of having two uh, extended conversations with Jack, and I know he really hates doing interviews. And they were both um, you know supposed to be like fifteen minutes on the phone, and they turned into like hour and a half, just sort of rambling in the best possible way. He's a, a he's he,
1: he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brilliant wordsmith. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 the guy eats books. Oh, er, er, I mean, I don't know how many
0: novels a week, but it's numerous. Yeah. Well, Do you, you know, you, you've, you have, I don't know, maybe pessimistic is too strong a word, but like a, a feeling that, that of the power of art and film today in terms of like its ability to affect change. Is it fair to say that you, at this point, don't, you, there's entertainment value certainly to films and they can, they can inspire to a degree, but there are limits and that it's just, it can't really affect actual change. Is that, is that too far? Uh, I, I don't think we
1: should depend on it to do that. Sure. Um, for me, I, I don't know that I have the objectivity again, you know, I am 57 years old and all of the electronics are new to me. Figuring out how to get on a channel is something I don't know how to do unless I'm turning a dial and there seems to be so much content, and the most thoughtful of which tends to go to television, which is not, you know, the medium that I, I might be most excited about. And the, the theaters principally are full of, you know, kind of, um, you know, Cirque du Soleil, uh, you know, sure. spectacles. spectacles, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it seems that you know much. Uh, actors are are seem more than ever out for that which will give them mm. the highest profile and valuation based on things that were not the things that I really value. Right. Um, but then you get a surprise, and this is why I keep talking about *A Star Is Born*, Born yeah. with uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. It, it's, it, I. I I can't wait to see if if I'm alone in this or not. <laughs> you know, because this one might squeak through and be, and it still can happen. Right. And if it can, then, then then filmmakers who thinking like I do, whatever you know, younger ones will will keep aspiring to do that. And that would be for me great because I I can't get through all the all. There can be wonderful things happening, but they're not something that you're gonna. Uh, you don't even know who, who else is paying attention to it. And I like to feel like I'm in that m- movie theater with people. Yeah. I like to feel like that group that saw that event on that night is going to remember that forever. Yeah. And so for things to feel special is to feel that that voice can alter things. And I, I'm having a tough time
0: f- f- you know, seeing what's special because there's too much to see. Well, there's a crazy stat. I think like next year there will be 500 TV series. Yeah. And many are great, but it's sheer numbers. I, I do this for a living, and I see 20% of what I actually hear is amazing. It's and and you're,
1: you're relying on people or giving people the opportunity to be the curator of their own um, viewings, right. which, you know, that's great for Martin Scorsese. He's, he's a trained curator. But for the average kid on the street coming up, uh, you know, I, I, I think like anything else it'd be helpful to offer great curation to that. And um, I'd like to see
0: uh, a, a design build yeah. itself somehow to allow for that. Did, did somebody help curate your interest as a kid or did you fall into into films that you fell in love with? Was it uh, Was it family? Was it an older friend? I mean, I feel like inevitably, you know, I had an older brother and like my happiest kind of early experiences of falling in love with movies was going to the movies with him um, how were you intro- introduced to the, the art that inspired you?
1: Well, I had a grandmother who uh, – there was a lot of art in my house. My mother was endlessly creative, and, and my father certainly was invested in it. But I had a grandmother who would take me, you know, to see um, uh, Bullet and Romeo and Juliet on a double bill. Uh <laughs> down, Downtown L.A. Where, where near where they lived. Grandparents lived – um, and, and so on. there was that period, but also where I where I spent my adolescent years from the age of nine, actually, till 17, there was one movie theater within 25 miles. And, you know, they, the movies that would play there would play just long enough till the next one came. And in my memory, each one were events that you never forgot. You know, I don't know, one week it might be Lenny, another week it might be Coming Home. Right. Another it might be with this one or that. And you were seeing you know, things that still today last as great works of art. And and not only were they great works of art, the great works of art were also that which was most commercial and universal. Right. That's
0: what's hard to come by. Yeah, taxi driver made money. Taxi driver was not a (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, it, part of it is just the luck of, I guess, the year, you know, of the era. You, you see, my walls, and yes, I have an affection for the '80s. I grew up in the '80s, and um, there was a lot of crap. There was also some, some good stuff, and the same could be true. I mean, I guess you probably came of age. You were a teenager in the mid '70s, right? So I was from. I was a teenager from uh, from '73 on. So, you, so you're talking about I'm you know born in 1960. So the math is always easy. <laughs> so you're talking about. Coppola and Cassavetes and yeah. and and then Shaw, yeah. Spielberg, and Terrence Malik you know, Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. is Malik uh, Malick, you obviously collaborated with a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, was first of which was *Thin Red Line*, which kind of brought him out of hibernation. Mm-hmm. Um, what's I mean? There's so much mystery about around him. He's obviously hasn't talked to someone like me in 30 years. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Give me a peek into the mind of Terrence Malick or what it's like to collaborate with him.
1: Well, his, you know what I don't want to speak for Terry on his feelings about you know talking about himself to journalists. That's its that's its own thing. But he is you know he was a Rhodes Scholar, was a journalist, has uh, lived many lives before he started making films, and uh, is you know endlessly fasc- fascinated with the natural world. Um, you know, people can be in the middle of a take, and if he sees a red bellied sucker fucker, whatever. Uh, bird that camera is going to be guided up to that he's going to forget he's got actors down (laughs) there doing a scene Uh, over here terry over here yeah he's got his he's 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 a guy who um is you know without a doubt uh, there there lives in terry malik uh one of the great american poets uh visually and and in words and and he can drift and he's lovely and he's tough and he's a lot of things but uh uh
0: you know. You've described all the greats we've talked about. That's kind of like they all, their eccentricities are their greatest assets as well,
1: I suppose. Yeah. And then you had people, I knew Hal Ashby very well. Oh, no. And he, he was a friend. We talked about working together, almost did at one point, and then, he, and then we lost him. Yeah. Uh, but this was a guy who, yes, he had a very complicated history. But as a the the general affability of him, he, he, he was the person I depended on in some of my you know hardest moments. It could be three o'clock in the morning, and he'd drive on up to the house. And the the sadder tale I had to tell, the louder he laughed. <laughs> he just you know you need he a was few of those. he was always at thirty thousand feet on that, and and just ready to tell you you know you think you got problems,
0: <laughs> nothing nothing. Some perspective, good to have once in a while. Um, is there an actor or filmmaker today that if they called you up would it would be tough to say no to the prospect of collaborating with them? Sight unseen even with the script and just say like this is worth exploring in a serious way? I hope
1: not. <laughs> <Because> I,
0: <laughs> you don't want to be tempted even. You don't
1: <laughs> Yeah, right. No not not at this time. Yeah. You know, right right now I'm very, very much not you know I've just finished a project with, with some wonderful people and with an, an actress I worked with on that on Natasha McElhone who's oh. as great as any actress I've ever worked with and that was in it it was great and I'm ready to spend some time writing.
0: Is there a, I was as much as I was excited to see you today. Um, I was also nervous about the smoking and I was there's security right next door to me and I was worried what, how it was going to go down. You haven't smoked at all. So that's a it's a good thing. I've never smoked myself. Have I missed anything? Should I just pu- like have one cigarette before all is said and done, Sean?
1: I have two questions. Are we not on an airplane right now? Because I had convinced myself I was in a cross-continental commercial flight and put myself in the head so as not to smoke. And if we're not, let's go out on the taxiway and have a smoke.
0: Look, if I'm going to have my first cigarette, it might might as well be with Sean. Actually,
1: you should not have your first cigarette. It's the worst effing thing anybody can do to their life. Don't do
0: it. Any vices left besides cigarettes? No,
1: no, well, cigarettes and self-loathing.
0: That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I loved you for a reason. <laughs> um, Sean Penn, the book is Bob Honey, who just do stuff. We didn't really talk about the specifics of like the narrative. And I don't know if that's, uh, you're okay with that or not. I mean, suffice it to say, it's... Um, it's kind of a fever dream of a, of a, of a, of a portrait of a guy who's uh, septic tanks, mallets, ex-wives, nosy neighbors. It's like a lot of buzzwords. And mm-hmm. if that piques your interest and it piques your interest to be inside the mind of, of Sean Penn, I think this is as close as we'll get to being inside your brain. Um, I, I, I think that that's true yeah. <laughs> Is that true? Okay yeah. um, It's It's been honestly a, a distinct pleasure and an honor I've always been such an admirer of your work and um, don't be a stranger whether it's for, for writing or, or acting you're always welcome here man Thank you very much. Thanks so much And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, I'm a big podcast person I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh.